What is that? Those are stairs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, nobody walks on the stairs during this interview. <laughs> oh, man. Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is a show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. On this episode, I talk with Eric Christensen, the co-founder and CEO of JustUno. JustUno is a SaaS conversion optimization platform which helps businesses to build their email list, drive more sales, and reduce shopping cart abandonment. The company was founded in 2010, has been self-funded, and is profitable. JustUno is based in San Francisco and Austin, Texas. Prior to launching JustUno, Eric worked at sierrasnowboard.com, where he managed the growth of sales from zero at launch to over $24 million. In 2010, Eric and his co-founder Travis built a widget to make it easier for e-commerce businesses to use coupons on their site. It was a simple widget that took less than a month to build, and they were able to get some e-commerce sites to be early adapters. But it wasn't all smooth sailing from there. The co-founders were actually working on three companies at the same time. They didn't know which business would work, so they were trying to hedge their bets. We'll talk about how Eric and Travis, where they had their aha moment, which led them to finally going all in with Justuno. And you'll learn how they've built a profitable SaaS business doing over $2 million a year with a zero marketing budget. Eric, welcome to the show. Oh, great. Thanks for having me. Let's start with a tough question. What gets you out of bed to work on your business every day? Do you have a favorite quote that inspires or, or motivates you? When I saw that question, I, I thought back to the one I actually put in my high school yearbook, and I don't know if it's fully politically correct these days, but it's the, an old sailing one, which is, there are no great men, only great challenges ordinary men must face. And it's kind of like, you know, anyone can achieve whatever they set their minds to. It's just, you just got to work towards it. Do you know who that quote is from? No, I don't. Should I? Uh, no, no, I don't think it matters. <laughs> I, I say ship active 55 is our sea explorer ship in, uh, in high school. <laughs> All right. So let's start by talking a little bit more about Just Uno. So I gave the audience a little bit of an overview, but in your own words, tell us what does the product do and what problem are you trying to solve for who? In simple terms, what we do is we allow online retailers, publishers, uh, B2B businesses really invest in their on-site visitors to maximize the opportunity for conversions. Traditionally, in, in marketing and sales, there's so much focus. It's actually percentage has been thrown out that for every $92 spent to drive traffic, $1 is spent to convert that traffic. With that said, there's been this disconnect of the funnel. And finally, you know, after five years, we're really seeing the market come around to, to understand the importance of focusing on the on-site visitor and the, the missed opportunity. And once we understand the importance of capturing an email address, the importance of reinforcing your off-site marketing message on-site and the conversion funnel all the way through for card abandonment, et cetera, 
Um, that's really where, where we're focusing. And uh, once you do focus in, uh, you see the instant ROI and people, we see that their eyes open. Okay, I want to talk about how you got started and where the idea for Just Do Not came from. But before that, I want to go back to when you had graduated from college. Now, on your LinkedIn profile, I read you were a traveler for four years. And then you've got a list of like, I don't know, like 50 countries. So what were you doing in those four years, man? I was enjoying my 20s, as everyone does. <laughs> <laughs> so I encourage everyone, I'm like, man, in your 20s, just go, before you have a mortgage, before you have kids, go go experience life, because it's really, really where you learn the most. Well, I, I was really fortunate in, in uh, college, I had, uh, had the opportunity to study abroad with a program called Semester at Sea, which really was my first influence with travel. You know, so anyone, anyone who's in college and young, I did two internships and my study abroad is where I really did my learning. And uh, that inspired me to continue through post-college to, to keep traveling. And I was really fortunate because I also, my first trip on semester at sea, I applied for a student aid, but I didn't, I didn't receive it. And so I didn't think I could go. So I had I devised a plan. I had figured out how much money I needed to make. And I ended up starting to do web design as uh, in 98 to pay for the trip. And then I was coming up short, but I got close and I set up a website that would allow the students to upload photos to a website. And I'd have to upload them from each country. This is like before Facebook, MySpace. Uh, Friendster was probably around. I don't know. And turns out that Semester at Sea wasn't happy I was using semester at sea.net. So long story short is I, after I did the first trip, I was so impressed and loved the program. I donated the domain to them with the understanding that I would uh, receive a, a job on the ship whenever I wanted to go again. So uh, 2003, I was in Denver and I missed the ocean. So I called them up and hopped on the ship a few months later, sailed around the world, came back and then uh, painted houses for a little while, lived in Tahoe, Hawaii. <laughs> wow. I was doing some freelance work and then, uh, I, uh, my brother for a year, which was really important, actually sold yellow page ads because I was sick of technology and I went over in sales. And my brother called me who lived in Hawaii and landed on a Thursday, said, Hey, I'm going to a wedding in Costa Rica. Let's drive. I went in my work the next day because we just finished the whole book campaign and asked for a month off. They're like, no, but go ahead. And, um, we hopped in the car Friday and drove all the way down to Panama. That was just kind of the, the modus through the twenties till we started doing Sierra snowboard in kind of mid twenties. So a lot of it happened in my early twenties, which I encourage everyone to do. Were you a, a founder at Sierra snowboard? Not in the traditional sense. You joined when it was like right at the start, right? Yeah. Actually, when I was on my road trip down in Costa Rica, I got an email uh, from a friend that said, Hey, I have a, a warehouse, 20,000 extra square feet of warehouse. And I set up the retail store up front and he said, I need a website. So went up there the first year and we were using counterpoint software and did a million in sales with myself skating around the store, the warehouse, picking up inventory and grabbing people here and there. After that first year, then we, then we did like 3 million and then we did, you know, we just kept double tripling and kept growing the team. And by the end, we were in like a hundred thousand square foot facility. Travis, my co-founder Justuno, was building all the back end stuff. 
it was all our own proprietary software. I think in the end, we did we did our first million dollar sale, and then shipped thirty five hundred packages in the same day. Wow! And then that business grew to twenty four million dollars plus in sales and in revenue, and uh, and then I think it was sold in two thousand and ten. So yeah, right? two thousand ten was a it's a crazy year. The business sold, and at the same time. It was an incredible business, so fun, learned so much. And the online experience is actually offsite. We do snowboard meetups, we take 100, 200 people and meet up at mountains and snowboard. And that's when I didn't really talk to you about is <laughs> during the time when that finished, I had a pretty bad snowboard accident in the train park and ended up uh, breaking my neck and back. Wow. So in 2010, I kind of had to start all over in a sense of both business and and personal and in that time that's when uh when Travis and I founded uh Justuno how did you and Travis come up with the idea for Justuno five ten fifteen years ago even we'll just say 2010 you could not mention the word coupon to an online retailer and an online retailer would be like someone's on my website why would I give them a coupon why would I do anything to help them check out they're on my website they're going to check out what we recognized because we were really dynamic and focused, is that people were searching for coupon codes. We did it. And that's about the time Retail Me Not was, was able to grow very big. And what we recognized is people that left Sierra Snowboard and Googled Sierra Snowboard coupon codes, when they came back, they had a sales conversion rate of between 8 and 11%, meaning they had purchase intent. So what we did is we ranked up for those terms. Okay, so you've got that insight, and, and so how did you decide that there was a business opportunity there? Yeah, so how did we decide there was a business? We, first, we saw, that, we saw that it worked, like there was a need. So we started to do it on our own site. We saw the increase in conversions as a whole. At the time, we were looking around, and I, I'm always looking to see what the market's doing, always studying every different type of website and industry. And it was uh, the big photo printing site, Shutterfly. They were the only ones that I found that were actually presenting codes on their site. They had this beautiful design site. Orange was their color, visual. And up in the upper right-hand corner, they had this red 12-point font, use code, whatever. It was a total afterthought. Hmm. It made no sense. You could tell a developer got in there and put it in. So kind of back to questions like, is there an opportunity? I saw people were doing it. We were doing it ourselves. But it was really cumbersome because in order to, one, as a digital marketer, we would be changing our coupons daily. And in order to change it, we'd have to go through development and then they'd have to do it. They'd have to Q&A it and then they'd have to push it live. So the process to go through uh, development slowed us down as well. And most websites, you know, any digital marketer can speak to the CTO that has their website on lockdown and holds them back from being successful. CTOs generally, you know, they, you know, the technical team, they want to make sure that whatever's on the site isn't going to slow the site down, isn't going to harm conversions and everything, but they're not marketers. They're not, they're not looking at conversions traditionally. So without going too far off on the answer of the question, what we were doing at Sierra is we were a discounter straight out. And people knew we had the best prices, which helped us with our marketing because Google Base at the time, I think that's what they called it. We'd send up our product feeds manually, mind you. And then what we recognized is that 
since people were leaving to search for coupon codes, we wanted to be there at the first point of contact. So the first thing we did is we, in our community forums, and we were big into SEO, we had a, a post that was always updated with our current coupon codes. And that post we ranked up in the search engines above retailing on. So anytime anyone Googled Sierra Snowboard, they would then find our forum post, which would then go to our forum post and we'd update it, telling them what the current 100% active coupon codes were, which is another problem because on all the coupon sites, there's no guarantee those coupons are going to work. So we knew that was working. So then the next step was then have David put the banners on our site with the active codes, but that would be an act of Congress to do and it took forever. But we knew that it worked because back then Google would allow you to track exact keywords. So we knew, and I, I, I can send you the, the graphic, I took a screenshot of it. We knew that you know, our average conversion rate, I think was uh, 1.28 across site-wide. And when we saw that these users of the coupon code had the eight to 11% conversion rate, that was the aha moment. We knew it worked, we had the process, but we needed to make it easier. So we spent several months brainstorming, building, and that's when I was in bed recovering. And when I was finally able to walk and be out and about, I went to visit my brother in Maui and spent some time finalizing the whole concept and came back and we built it and launched it on November of 2010 or December 2010. And when we launched it, it was a pure freemium model. And you can use, it's always fun to use archive.org to go back and look at our first sites. But um, back then when we launched it, we were a little tab on the side and it, it was simply, here's our current coupons and that's it. Simple product. So it was just a website which gave you a list of coupons? No, it was, it was a, a widget. It was a pop-up. It allowed the user to enter in what their current coupons were. It was a platform that allowed a digital marketer to log in, create a little button on the side of their website that said coupon. And when someone, just like you have live chat or whatever, when someone would click it, it would show the whatever copy the digital marketer had put into, into the, the pop-up. What did you build that with? Just like some JavaScript? Uh, Travis just built it. We used AWS to call to reference it. And it was all homebrew, 100% built, like, Travis started busting it out. I couldn't believe it. It's like, because you'd have to get the embed code. This is 2010. So you know, given it was only seven years ago, whatever, it still was new technology. You know, like the fact you could just put an embed code on your site and it would then read into this dashboard we built in real time. It was like blew, blew my mind away. I'm like, this is insane. But when we started to talk to people, they're like, why would I give people coupons? No way. I need something more out of this. <laughs> you know? And so then we got into the gating. Uh, that's when we realized, okay, and social was really big at the time. So then we built it in that you'd have to Facebook like or tweet in order to get the coupon or capture an email address. Okay. So how long did it take Travis to build that? Because it sounds like a pretty simple tool. I mean, Travis is kind of a madman. So <laughs> he, he probably builds three times quicker than your average bear, but... You know, I'd like to say maybe a month before we really had something we could look at. And keep in mind, we were building three other, two other companies at the same time, too. Yeah, of course, as you do, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so what did you do to get the word out about this? Were you just 
because I guess it was freemium, so it wasn't really. Definitely the first thing we, we reached out to any contacts we had in the retail business. I think we got a couple people on board from that. Then the second thing, I can't remember exact details, but I can tell you what was our first big win. And our first big win was when Big Commerce added us to their app store. Big Commerce is a e-commerce platform. They were early into the into the game. Um, they're still one of the leading uh, e-commerce platforms out there. And they were experimenting, but with a, an app store, meaning their retailers could go to their, their app store and look for tools that would help them be successful. And I was working, I'm working with them and it was, it's to this day, it's the fastest app store we've ever gotten into. It was literally within the same day of building the relationship with them. We went live almost and instantly we got like 10 signups in one day and Travis was like, Oh my God, we got 10 signups. And that was our aha moment. And the second aha moment was when in after like two years, we were running different companies and we're trying to like hedge our bets, uh, which one would take us to the promised land. And we took just, you know, out of freemium, I believe in 2013, because we were a completely free tool, you know, app. And I emailed or called, you know, our best performing customers. I said, Hey, we're preparing to come out of beta. I believe I've worded just like this. I want to know if we've earned your business. And the response was awesome. It was like, yes, I, you, I love your product. It's helping us. I will definitely pay you. How much did you start charging for it? I think it was $75 for that customer a month because they were a bigger one. We've changed our pricing model so many times, but maybe they were paying 19. It, it was under 100. I'll tell you that much. Okay. And then kind of currently, what does somebody, oh, I've got that little slider on your website. So up to 5,000 visitors, you don't pay anything. Then it scales up to 19 a month. Yeah. And then all the way to the end, 699 a month, 699 a month. Yeah. And then there's a custom beyond that. Yeah. Okay. That's quite a range. Yeah. And, and we also have professional services now that starts at an additional $4.99 a month and goes up from there. That's been phenomenal for not just our customers, but for us, because we are able to push the limits of our platform. We use just, you know, on our own site as well, but with our customers that we manage their accounts, they're always helping us and we're helping them push the limits of what we can do, which makes it even more fun for us. But the pricing that is, <laughs> we've done everything with that. And someone could get a PhD in pricing. Um, <laughs> I'll just tell you where we are today. Today, we're at a model that is in a response to everything that I hate about all the tools we use. Cause you know, we use, we pay for like 30 different platforms ourselves. And, you know, Salesforce is the number one that I despise. And because anytime you need to do something like, oh, that's on the next plan. Oh, that's what you want to do. You can't do with this, the plan you're on. We need to upgrade you to the next one. And with ours, we say, look, if you pay us, you have access to everything. And we base it solely on their traffic. And it's a simple model that all of our agency partners can understand. That's also the big factor of why we do it. And then the, the last component is 
we've had, you know, people have been with us from day one and we've watched them grow their businesses, which is fantastic. And so we offer the small SMB that's starting today has the exact same access to the exact same features that the biggest retailers in the world are using. And so it's a, a level playing field in terms of tool sets. It's just a matter of how, how proactive do you want to be with your website visitors. And that's yeah. why you see that our freemium model goes up to uh, 5,000 visitors, which I will say we actually, you know, for other SaaS you know, companies, we actually got rid of our freemium model for many years. Uh, we shied away from it and we got rid of our $9 a month plan because the $9 a month plans, they'll put you out of business. Everyone thinks that, oh, I'm going to launch this product and I'm only going to charge nine, nine bucks and I'll get a hundred thousand people on. I'll make so much money. The truth is it is extremely hard to make a living off a, a product that is under $10. And those customers have the highest touch and the highest churn rate. So food for thought in that regard. Yeah, I, I like the simplicity of it that, you know, everybody gets everything. And so it's a nice, clean, freemium model. And if somebody's under 5,000 monthly visitors, you know, they don't pay anything. They can get up and running with this. They can start to see the value of it. And when they get to beyond 5,000 visitors it kind of becomes a bit of a no-brainer to pay for it, right? Yeah, we, you can kind of factor, if you're generating more than 5,000 visitors, you're probably selling some product. Right. You know, because you know, it's so easy to start a store now, like Shopify, in 30 minutes, you can be up and selling. It's crazy. You know, so you have a lot of these mom and pops that are selling and, you know, Traditionally, it's really hard to open a retail store. It's just, it's so cheap and easy now. It's crazy. And you never know what's going to be the next big hit. All right. So in terms of revenue, where are you guys right now? We always, we set goals and we've set two goals. Goal number one is to double every year. And that we've achieved. And that's some of the advice you know, I've received outside of just, you know, and the second for us, we, you know, setting milestones and realistic milestones that we as a company can hit. And our first big one was a hundred thousand early on. Like we were, we couldn't believe we broke a hundred thousand. And then our next milestone that was a hundred thousand dollars ARR. Um, yeah, yeah. Sales. The next one was a hundred thousand in a month. Like, we were working to that one for a long time, which when you hit that, hits our other milestone of the million mark. So that we hit our million, we were, we really felt like it was a big accomplishment for us. And so now our next milestone we're working towards is 10 million. And what I've found is that every year, what we're looking at to hit our goals, our focus and our strategies shift a little. And as I understand numbers and I understand managing the business, understanding churn. Every year is a new learning curve. So right now you guys are doing more than $2 million a year. Correct. That's awesome. So this is the, the part of the conversation I've really been looking forward to having. And so let me just lay it out for people who are listening. So you guys start Just Do Know in 2010. You're self-funded. You had basically a zero 
marketing budget and you're already generating several million dollars a year in revenue and talking about a goal of $10 million. How does that happen? I mean, <laughs> when it's all said and done, I'll write a book and try to remember. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about some of those growth strategies and what you did to get the word out and, and get more customers. Yes. I know content marketing was like a big play for you guys. Tell me a little bit about that. What were you doing? What I did is I, I kind of carried a lot, of, a lot over from what I learned at, at Sierra Snowboard, where we, did, we also didn't have a marketing budget. And we had to be super creative and resourceful uh, and stretch every dollar, every dime, whatever, whatever the phrase is, out. And um, at Sierra, I learned that it's all about acquiring the cost to acquire a customer and where is that customer and how do you get them to come back to make that second purchase uh, as well? Because 80% of customers only shop once from retailers. So part of it is a culture within the company that we respect the dollar and we respect our customers and the process. And what we've done is we've built a sustainable business, which here in San Francisco is extremely rare. You know, there's so much money being thrown around and people like to throw money to solve problems, which in a sense doesn't create for a sustainable long-term business. So we looked at a few areas. We looked at, I knew I want to invest in content, which is one reason one of the biggest investments we made early on was in HubSpot into their platform because they themselves believed heavily in content marketing. So content is number one. And what content does for you as well is it, it helps you with SEO. So SEO is, you know, at Sears Snowboard, we ranked top three for whether it be snowboard, buy snowboard, cheap snowboards, Burton snowboards, whatever the new model of Burton snowboard was at. We bought all the domains, built all these feeder sites. So SEO to me is what you start on day one. And you have to identify and study and figure out what terms you should be going after. You really have to have an intimate understanding of your business to understand what to go after. So you have SEO, you have content. Travis and I, when we started, get Facebook likes was the best phrase to have. And we ranked up to the top three for that. So that helped us. That's back when, and then it was hilarious because you could just go buy Facebook likes as well. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's why you're seeing the resurgence of email marketing. You know, so right now, if you Google email pop-ups, we're number one. Uh, I think we're number two as well. So as we look at it, we didn't have a budget to buy AdWords. And the truth is AdWords generally is hard to work with uh, B2B. B2C, it's, it, you can make it work. B2C is a little more difficult. The other is the relationships. Adam from uh, Active Campaigns at the office today here. I, we just, before this podcast, we were catching up. They, they were nine people when I knew him about four or five years ago there. They're up to 20 or 30 uh, that's another great success story with Jason. It's a self-funded company. You know, they're up to 200 people now. Wow. Well, I should get them on the show. I mean, I've been using Active Campaign for the last couple of years now. Great product. Yeah, Adam's, Adam's here. So then that's where I get into the relationships. And, you know, it's rare. Just like, yeah, it's pretty interesting because Adam's been there for five years plus whatever. Same with our employees. We have long-term employees here because, you know, the cultures we create, but you know, so often I know people are their third company now within our industry. The companies have changed, but the relationships haven't. 
And so I personally made a big investment in all our relationships. And, you know, you talk about how do you maintain those? There's different ways, but how do we grow? How do we get to where we are today is we didn't get to where we are by going and spending 10, 15, 20, $30,000 on a booth at the trade shows. The way we did it is I would fly there by myself. So like IRC in Chicago, I would fly to Chicago. I fortunately have a, a good friend that lives there. So I'd stay at his place. So it was free to stay there. I would get an expo pass, if not for free, you know, you can buy it. Uh, Travis ran a retail store. So I just get it for like you know, 79 bucks there. I would walk the floor and I would spend my entire time shaking hands and FaceTime with all of our partners all the app stores and I focused all my time on on getting into every single app store I possibly could and that's how we grew our company how were you figuring out what app stores to get into or, or you just didn't care as long as you were getting into an app store <laughs> everyone <laughs> so back then I didn't care right and that's you know the learning curves of the shotgun approach well 2017, in January, we sat down, we go, okay, shotgun approach is killing us. We don't have the resources to service our, you know, I, I don't know what, we're at 200 plus different, you know, ESPs, e-commerce, you know, data, you name them, partners. We can't service them and we're, we're doing a disservice to everyone by doing this. So we actually honed down and, and I finally understood, I, I had my own aha moment of, oh, that's why they have tiers of partnerships. You know, it's like, that's why they don't, they actually plan out podcast or webinars and everything is that we recognize that present day is that our partners, while we have so many, it's the 80, 20 rule, which actually for us is actually a 90, 10 in terms of where our revenue is coming from, where our focus. And so we broke our partnerships up now into only two tiers, we have the tier uno or top tier one and everyone else. And only our top tier ones, and we base it off three criteria of engagement. Are they engaging with us? Are we doing co-branded marketing material, guest blogs, webinars, et cetera? Uh, are we training their, their account management team? And then the second is current customers we have with us. It's an easy identifier. And then the third is opportunity for do we want to invest for the, we see a long-term opportunity with them. But early on, I mean, the market was different five years ago too, and four years ago, in the sense that there wasn't such a monopoly in the e-commerce space. You know, Shopify, big commerce, really started to dominate with the SMBs, mid-market. It's really kind of simplified down a little, but you could kind of rate leads from different partners too. But overall, a lead's a lead, and, and we were we'll take a lead from anywhere, any partner. So SEO, you started pretty early on, and you guys were creating a bunch of content. Who was creating that? Who was writing all of this, these posts and whatever else you were creating in terms of content? So originally it was me. Um, I experimented using some outsourced blog writing, but I found that in order to get a decent blog, I, had, I still had to architect the framework, what they're going to talk about. So in the end, we still weren't getting them written. So it was me early on. And then, um, did I hire any contractors? I don't, I may have. And then I finally, in 2014, was fortunate to find Grant uh, Thomas. 
who is a, a, a great writer and is now running our marketing department, um, he really took, uh, took the ball and ran with it. And how are you figuring out what to write about? You talked earlier about, okay, I've got, you know, there are these e-commerce businesses and you're having a hard time trying to persuade them to, they don't even see the value in having coupons. And so you've got to kind of, one is you've got to overcome that and get them to understand what the value is. And then you've got to get them to believe in your product and pay for it and then go and integrate it. So in terms of the content, how were you, how were you positioning that? What, what, what was the, the kind of the high level strategy to attract these people? <laughs> it might be better current day strategy. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I think, uh, we could probably look at some of our old blogs. I, you know, I'll tell you, I mean, because I had a background in SEO, I knew. So we were talking about get, you know, get Facebook likes. So we talked about and everything. All inbound links were like, get Facebook likes. That was our entire focus. So we were, a, a lot of our content was around our entire SEO strategy. I don't know if we did, case, I think we were trying to do case studies back then to show, there's nothing like a case study to show value. Okay, so would it be fair to say it wasn't like there was, you kind of sat down and said, okay, here is our content strategy for the next year and this is the type of stuff we're going to create and whatever. It was more like organic in terms of what you thought would get people's attention and keywords that you thought would be worthwhile going after and then you were just doing what you had been doing at Sierra Snowboard, which was, okay, we've identified these keywords, let's just figure out how, how to optimize for them. I think it's pretty safe to say that's probably what we were doing. And then the the app store integration as well, that sounds like that was a big part of your kind of customer acquisition plan. Which has changed, you know, which evolves because, you know, the market's changed. There's so many apps out there now. If I were to start a new company today, probably half of what we did won't work, uh, you know, just because the market's evolved. And you've got to a point where you have over like, I think I read somewhere on your website that you have over 55,000 websites that, that use Just Uno. Yeah, at one time or, or another have, have used us. Yeah. And did most of that come through what you were doing with SEO and, and these app store integrations? I would say, oh, Mayor, maybe what we'll have you do is come in and analyze those 55,000. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That sounds really fun. <laughs> okay. You know, a bulk are coming from app stores, maybe 20% from, this is just gut, right? 20% maybe from SEO, you know, 60% from app stores, minimal from paid. Tell me about a strategy that you tried that didn't help you grow or get customers. It seems like anytime we try to pay for something, it just never works. <laughs> That's a good, good guide. <laughs> yeah. We did this one video campaign where we paid, we created some content and they, they held the, the leads that watched the video hostage in a sense where they claim they're going to be these incredible leads and we ended up paying like $5,000 for, you know, like a hundred bucks a lead and they materialized to nothing because I had a second company that tried to sell me on it too. And I said, look, you're claiming these are the greatest leads. If you stand by that, I will pay you that after they convert because it's one thing to hand off a lead it's a whole nother thing to convert that lead to a sale 
And we, as an operation, weren't built to even process those, those leads because we had so many inbound ones uh, from other channels and I didn't have the sales team available to close what we would today consider a, just a, a marketing qualified lead, not a sales qualified lead. Being you know, sales qualified is ready, is interested in ready versus they just maybe watch something. And so I would say be wary of anyone that comes to you and says, we can deliver you X number of leads that are in your segment and you know we're going to charge you $100 a lead, but we have no onus to their ability to convert. If you can negotiate that contract to, to you pay them once they convert and maybe base it off percentages of that sale, then you'll know they're interested in your, your best interest. And that's what I pitched back to the second company. I go, look, I'm not going to pay you up front, but I will pay you X, X, and X. And they're like, no, we, we, we can't do that because they knew their leads were shit. <laughs> you also tried um, affiliate marketing, right? The discussion around affiliate for me personally is that, you know, like I said, our best partners are ones that have the best interest in their, of their customers and aligned. When we work with our partners, it's a real partnership in a sense that we're helping train our partner. We're helping that customer be successful just as hard as they're working to make that customer successful. And that's the entire conversation. Every time we meet, every everything, the entire relationship and our best partnerships both ways. And even when they, I'm offered, I'm like, I don't want a single dollar from you. I want to make the customer successful so we can extend the lifetime value of that customer because we'll all make more money if the customer is successful. If someone opens the conversation with what's your commission program do you use? To me, that's a red flag. Right. Because they're motivated more by the commission than thinking about value or, or kind of a long-term partnership with you guys. Yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about why you guys didn't think, because you've been in business for seven years and you haven't gone out and try to get funding. How were you funding the business in the early days? So in a few different areas there, Travis and I didn't take a paycheck for four years. I was living in San Francisco and didn't take a single paycheck. Wow. And that kind of goes into, you, know, you kind of reference like a, a book that, that we can look at is in college, one of the professors, he recommended I read Millionaire Next Door. And I've kind of always lived by it, but it really reinforced a lot of the, my beliefs. And I kind of pass that down through the, the company as well, is that we live at our means. Um, we don't overspend. And that allowed me to, to save money while I was doing Sierra Snowboard to I saved up money to be able to invest in myself and that, you know, when I was trying to figure out what direct, what path to go, you know, should I start a company? Uh, what should I do? I, I talked with some personal family friends and one of the, the best advice I, I received was Bill Hutchinson said, Eric, invest in yourself. That's going to be the best investment you can make long-term. And I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And so you know, for four years, I lived off savings, did my best to live below my means. I passed up opportunities, like maybe join other companies. Not that I was offered, but I was at Rocket Space, a shared workspace in San Francisco, one of the very first ones. I was actually the first tenant there uh, with Duncan. And, and like Uber was 10 people there. And hmm. 
I should have just gone work for them. Right. <laughs> right. They were so annoying to be sit, sit next to. We were so thankful that when they moved out, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, you know the, the past pathway ways through. But as we started to grow in our first sales, what we did is as soon as we were making like 3000 a month, we hired our first salesperson and then we we're making 6000. We were able to uh, pay the, the initial for the actual very first salesperson. And then we just kept every time we make more money, we we reinvest it over those four years. And then we actually took a very small kind of like angel seed from a family friend under a hundred thousand just to kind of help spur sales. And then we continue to grow, just double down, invest. Travis and I started to take a very small salary to at least stop, stop the bleeding. And then September, 2015, the, my personal account was Travis was drained. Our line of credits were tapped out. I had 20,000 credit card debt and we were on against the ropes. So that weekend I got married. <laughs> oh my God. So Saturday I got married and my company was bankrupt. I was bankrupt and I had 20,000 in debt and I had to run payroll on Tuesday. So wow. an actual savior for us was uh, lighter capital based out of your town of Seattle. You know, you asked, did we try to raise money? Where did funds come from for Several months prior to this point, when I knew we were about to bleed out, I began looking into fundraising. And I have my own feelings about people that, that try, try to give you advice that have never started a company, but only have an MBA. I, yeah. <laughs> I have my own feeling in that regard, but I sucked it up and I, I actually you know, took like 30 meetings or something and you know, to get emails back that say at the end of the day, I don't see you being a billion dollar company. It's like, I'm not trying to be a billion dollar company. You know, they're like, we built, we've done everything that you're supposed to do with the business. I have a sound business. We're like borderline, you know, like we were growing, doubling. We just needed to get to that next level. And so people didn't see that 10 X at that point. And so I, and before, you know, I was bleeding out, I was running out of time. So I, there was the secondary option B to get me which was lighter capital. We ended up signing the documents on the Monday after my wedding. I ran payroll, received the money on a Wednesday, and they pulled payroll on Thursday, Thursday from the bank. My team got paid on Friday. And that was just like some debt financing? Yeah. So it was purely there was lighter capital sits between VCs and the banks. The banks, you have to do a personal guarantee. VCs take you know their cut, the percentage of their company. Lighter capital sits in the middle. They're like, one notch above a loan shark. Uh, <laughs> so there's no personal guarantee, but there's really high interest. What, what I can tell you today is that we would not be where we are today, even at, without them. And so while it was high interest, it worked out great for us. And also the, the bank wouldn't loan us because we had no assets. They don't view your SaaS revenue as an asset. So it would be hard to get a loan from a bank. And then the VCs up top, because we already had revenue, didn't see us becoming this gigantic thing. And so we were really in this really weird middle area. And uh, that's where lighter capital came in. And if I look back at it today, what I really should have done is gone to SBA. They will actually uh, secure back a loan for businesses. So I think 
you know, fast forward, I probably would have tried to look at SBA because we had the revenue with the business. We can support it and we've supported, we've made every loan payment. That's probably what I would have done, but whatever. But it worked out in the end. Worked out in the end. Yeah, that's awesome. We're a, we're a debt-free company. Yeah, debt-free, profitable. And if you continue the, the growth that you, you guys have been getting in terms of doubling every year, that $10 million milestone isn't really that far away. That's awesome, yeah. man. I love yeah. that. I love that. All right, let's get on with the lightning round. Um, I'm going to ask you seven questions. Just try to answer them as quickly as you can. All right, you ready? Let's do it. Uh, what's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received? Well, invest in yourself. That, that one was great. The other one more practical is my friend's dad. He built a successful retail business, one of the first big box. And he said, at the end of the day, all that matters is what's in your till. And that's what I try to focus on is sales and avoid all the noise uh, that comes with being in, in this industry. Well, what book would you recommend to our audience and why? Probably two. The, the first one I mentioned, Millionaire Next Door, just without, I already kind of explained it, but if I can throw a second one in, the predictable revenue model ones are, are pretty interesting. But you know, I'm going to stick with my uh, Millionaire Next Door. That's my one book. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? Got to be resilient. Just got to keep going. Got to be like cockroach who doesn't die. <laughs> We've seen so many companies come and go and because we're so scrappy, we just keep clawing. I'd say that's probably it. What's uh, your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? To-do list. I, I still just make my to-do list. I'm staring at one right now. On paper? I use the little notepad on uh, my Mac. There you go. And it works. <laughs> it works. Yeah. Uh, what's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? I want to go build wood tables. <laughs> build tables? Yeah, wood tables. I, just... <laughs> I love working with wood. It's, I, I, whatever I do to get away from technology. Oh, man. And uh, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Uh, I once lived with 34 mini bikes in the basement of my, my house in uh, Fort Mason in San Francisco because I had a deal that went wrong and I had to live with 34 mini bikes that I had to piece so <laughs> <laughs> oh I'd say that's that's the one my buddies like to make fun of me about. and finally what's one of your more most important passions outside of your work surfing is my my go-to if I can do anything I go surf my newest one is fishing but I'd say surf and the wooden tables yeah <laughs> Oh, man. Eric, I'm really glad we, we got a chance to chat and kind of you shared your story with us. I got to say, you, you're like, I don't know if this is, a, it's meant as a compliment. You're like an onion, man. It's like we started this conversation and I knew there was an interesting story there. But the more we talk, it's like these layers keep coming off. And it's like, there's all these new things I discover along the way. It was like, we could have kept talking for like, another couple of hours. Yeah. I appreciate that. You know, I, I, I love talking about this stuff and I, we've been so busy and heads down. I, it, I, I rarely have time to kind of reflect back on, on what we've done. And um, so no, I, I totally appreciate it, man. Anytime I'm around. 
No, it's, it's been great to have you here. Now, if uh, people want to find out more about Just Uno, they can go to justuno.com. And I'll include a link in the show notes to that. And if uh, people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, just email me. It's E-R-I-K at, at Just Uno. All right, sweet. Thanks, man. I know you're, uh, you've got a, you're on a mission. You've got to go and do something for your wife. So uh, my, my dog just... 20 teeth pulled so oh that sounds oh, my other piece of advice is get dog insurance <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right well i hope it isn't too bad and uh your dog's in good shape thanks man right. it's been a pleasure i wish you all the best cheers oh, thanks so much take care